Hi, this is Janet Lansbury, and in this episode of Unruffled, I've got a special guest I'm very excited about. Lisa Sunbury is going to be joining me, and we're talking about crying. So I'm going to introduce Lisa Sunbury. She is a Rye associate. She was mentored by Magda Gerber, like I was. And she's also a has a master's degree in early childhood education. And she's been in this field for many, many years. She's written a website that is wonderful. It's called regardingbaby.org. She does consultations. She's worked as a professional in childcare and has extensive experience working with parents. But really what I want to say about Lisa is that she is one of the most insightful, sensitive, intuitive people I've ever met, particularly regarding children. And she has been just incredible friend online and we support each other and she is very very generous she gives her advice freely and helps parents out of all kinds of binds they've gotten into and and she is just an amazing person she really embodies the rye approach and so i'm thrilled to have you here lisa thank you so much for coming thank you i'm thrilled to be here thank you for that nice introduction maybe lisa you might be wondering why i asked you to be here for this particular topic. (laughs) Well, it's because this is such a touchy subject. This is a hot button topic. I find there's a lot of fear around this topic. There's a lot of extremism. Sometimes I get the impression that people either believe you stop a baby from crying no matter what at all costs, or if you don't do that, you're abandoning your child and you're just not caring and you're putting earplugs in and you don't care if they scream and you just consider them a thing that their feelings don't matter. There's no middle ground. There's no understanding of all the nuances of communication that comes with crying, which is, that's what crying is. It's communication. So I thought that maybe you know, we're very likely to offend somebody with something we say today. So I'm just, I want to go down in flames with you. (laughs) Are you game? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's what I love about you, Lisa. I knew you would be. Somehow I knew you would be. (laughs) So why do you think, why do you think it is that there's such, uh, this is such a difficult issue for, for all of us? having our child cry or hearing a child cry or responding to a crying child? I think we get triggered. You know, Monty used to say that a crying baby would bring us back to our own infancy. It's in our unconscious. And we get, twi- we get triggered and we, we want to do something to help. We also get that message from society that a crying baby, a good parent, does something to help the baby, to stop the crying, to keep the baby happy. Crying baby is an unhappy baby. That's the general message that we get. They must need us to do something if they're crying. And I don't think that that's always the case. No, I don't either. And I, I think what, what Magda, what I remember her saying about about the the feelings that get stirred up, that these are very often our own unexpressed feelings, the feelings that we were told not to express 
um, through our parents' actions or their words, you know, shh, stop, stop, don't cry, don't cry. You're okay, you're okay. Yeah, I was able to, to actually see my mother, who's a wonderful, caring person, see her in action doing this to my baby. And, you know, it made me realize, okay, yes, that explains a lot that, uh, you know, again, with the best intentions, I don't blame her for it, but she was, shh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry with my children. And I got to see for myself what had happened with me and, you know, why certain feelings were so difficult for me. Why, when I'm sad, I feel like it's a catastrophe. It's the end of the world. I'm not going to be able to come out of this. You know, it's it's a place that we learn to avoid. So yeah, children bring this up for us. And as you said, also, we're told that we are a failure as a parent if our child is crying. So we're blowing it. We've got to do something. We've got to do something fast. And the, yeah, being a good parent means a happy baby, a quiet baby. Being a responsive parent, I think that's the message that is out there. Being a responsive parent means we don't let them we don't let them cry. We do something to help to stop it, right? To soothe them, and that they're not. This is the other thing that they're not capable. I think one of the most um, one of the most damaging messages that parents receive, and I have parents I have parents ask me, well, if I don't if I don't soothe my baby, if I don't stop the crying, if I don't I don't do something she's she's not going to know that I that I love her she's not she's going to have brain damage her her I mean that's that's a message out there that her brain is going to be wired in an in a in an unhealthy way you know um she's not going to know that she's loved and she's cared for if I don't respond to every cry if I don't like by by trying to soothe by trying to stop it and I think it's the opposite I think that you have to respond but how you respond is very important. And I don't think responding always means doing something to stop the cry or to soothe the baby. There are times when you just can't. And and like I said, I don't think you should because there's something that needs to be expressed there. And allowing that and being there with the baby in it, but not trying to stop it um, right. can be incredibly healing. And send the message to the baby, I'm here, I'm, I'm here with you, I can't take this away, but I'm here with you, I'm listening. I'm listening, I want to understand, I want to know you, I want to see you, you know, all of you, not just the quiet you, <laughs> that's easier for me to see. But I want to know, I want to know what's going on. And, and yeah, if there's a solution, I want to find it, but I want to find the right one with you, not, not just do something because I have no patience for hearing this I, I want to be accurate in my response and that sometimes takes time you know it certainly takes thought and it certainly takes us calming ourselves which was Magda's first you know bit of advice you know when your baby cries calm yourself so that you can you can hear and not respond out of fear with some you know knee-jerk impulsive response you know that will make them stop and also not you don't want to give your baby the impression that their feelings are unsafe you know that their mother gets rattled whenever they you know have a feeling about something of course that's going to happen sometimes of course you know we're human and that's going to happen but if we can be working to respond thoughtfully and and know that crying is is healthy which is the main you know i think that's the first message that we need to to um absorb for ourselves you know as people that are caring for babies or parents 
crying is healthy and crying happens and yeah. it's a way of communication and it's the first building block of um, a relationship with with the baby and, um, and it's like you said this pausing to try to understand what it is it what is it that you're saying to me what do you need right now instead mm-hmm. of an automatic response of breastfeeding or carrying or bouncing or jiggling all of the things that you know we try to do sometimes yeah they're misreads and they actually can create more issues because they're stimulating the baby and for you know adding more stimulation when oftentimes especially with the newborn there's overstimulation is a common reason that babies um, become unraveled and start start crying so yes I mean you said something earlier about happiness I think a crying baby there is definitely some unhappiness there of some kind or dissatisfaction there but what I don't see as true is that a quiet baby means happy. It doesn't equal happy content. Sometimes it can be, okay, I'll stop, you know, or all right, you put that thing in my mouth. I, you know, I think that's where we uh, misread this is that. Is they that... make associations too. I mean, that, I mean, the message that we're giving them, right? If we're uncomfortable and we're wanting to soothe and, and you know, it's so if we offered the breast, they begin to make these associations like, oh, if I'm crying, unhappy, uncomfort- uncomfortable, I need something. I need to be fed. It starts happening really, really early, you know, that right. they get that message. Feelings come, discomfort or whatever it is, it comes. And then if they're allowed to express it and we're there with them to listen, but not necessarily stop it or, or try to fix it, then they learn that, oh, yeah, I have this feeling, I express it, this warm, caring person is here with me, and it's done, and I can move on, and I'm, you know, and I'm strong, and I'm resilient, and I, I, I don't need to, um, I don't need to eat, I don't need to, you know, I think that's a lot of these habits that we have as adults, that when, when we're upset or saddened, that we, we look for something to, to stop it, you know. To fix it, to yeah. Ourselves. To fix it. I believe that begins... That begins really early on. Yes, and I think that's another uh, misperception. Well, in my opinion, it's a misperception. I know in Magda's opinion, it was a misperception that this is something that happens later on, but not with babies. Babies only cry because they need you to stop them. Um, uh, At some age, which no one's ever really defined, People believe, well, now we it's healthy to express our feelings, you know, maybe for a toddler. But the problem is by then, all these messages have already been received that are going to make it much harder for the toddler and also harder for the parent because the parent's been telling themselves, cry, crying child, do something, fix it. And now they're supposed to change gears. So, you know, it's, it's hard for the child, but it's even harder for the parent to change gears at that point and see something as positive that they saw as very negative and a big, huge problem. It's not going to happen very easily. So that's a lot of the, I know, Lisa, you work with these parents too, that a difficulty we have with boundaries and behavior is that we've taught ourselves that crying is this bad thing. So I can't displease my child. You know, how can I do this, suddenly do this with a toddler? I'm so uncomfortable. So, I mean, the truth is we're never going to be comfortable when our child is upset. Never, ever, ever. It's never going to happen. But I think 
we can keep reminding ourselves, you know, like a muscle, remind ourselves it's healthy, it's healthy, it's healthy. Remind ourselves, you know, of the few times that we allowed our child to cry and we saw how something was cleared. We saw how they were able to share something with us and, and the bonding that came out of that and how we feel as adults with people when we do allow ourselves to cry and we were lucky enough to be with somebody that will just allow us to cry and listen and, and not try to change it or make it better in any way. Whoa, it feels amazing. We, you know, are bonded to that person for life, almost with one experience of this. It's so powerful. They get the message that you'll be there to listen, listen to them um, and be with them, but you can't always, you can't, you can't always take it away or change it. And that's okay. You know, they express what they need to, and then they move through it. And I know with my little one in particular, I had a story from very early on when she was four months old. Um, she came to live with me when she was four months old. And previously, she had been in foster care with two very caring parents. In her first four months, I had been able to visit her weekly for an hour. But for all intents and purposes, our relationship was very new. And she didn't know me. And she came to live with me, and I remember this this one day, the second day that we were together, she she started crying, and um, she couldn't be soothed, you know, holding her in arms, and she wasn't hungry, and she wasn't tired, she just was crying. And I sat down on the couch with her, I'd been, I'd been holding her in arms and walking with her, and I finally just sat down on the couch with her, and um, pulled my pulled my legs up, and she sat right there in the crook. Of my between my legs and my you know my tummy and I I said to her you just have so much to tell me you know and I said you are just so upset and I don't I don't understand you know I I don't know but I want to know I want to know and I'll be here and I'll listen to you and when I said that she had this moment where she stopped and she looked at me and she made eye contact with me um, and then she, and then she, <laughs> and then she continued, it was, and then she continued with the cry until she was done. And I just, and I just sat there with her and I just said, I'm listening. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm trying to understand. I was mostly quiet, but there was one part where I said to her, I said, I wonder if what you're feeling is, is that you're just so sad or you or you've, you've had so many changes. If you're if you're missing Linda and Christy, you know everything here is new for you. The sounds and the smells and the and and I'm new and we're just getting to know each other. And you know and she and this was another moment when I said that that she stopped and made eye contact with me. A four months old, tiny little baby. And then she resumed. <laughs> she resumed. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. I said, I will always be here to listen to you and to try to understand. And I want to hear it, you know. And that kind of set the stage. That was the beginning of our relationship for the uh, the kind of communication that we have. And she is very clear. When my little one, you know when she's happy and you know when she's not. <laughs> um, whatever it is. She she lets you know, um, but she moves through it too. She moves through it, and there are times, you know, as a as a toddler, there are times when she's needed to cry. She needs to cry, and I need to let her. And this has been great learning for me in my relationship with her because I'd I'd worked with children for a long time before having her, before becoming a parent to her, 
and I've worked as a nanny and I've worked um, in infant toddler programs. But yet, becoming a parent, it was different. It was a little bit different. It was harder to listen to her sometimes. And I definitely experienced that of wanting to, and still sometimes, you know, of wanting to take it, take away the pain or the frustration, you know, wanting to make it better for her and having to realize that that's not doing her any favors. You know, what she needs is to have me by her side. She needs to have me be present with her and listen to her, but not to take it away. This is her, this is her process. There's a great amount of trust in our relationship. She knows that I might not be able to, to do anything, um, and, I, and I don't necessarily do anything to make, you know, to make it stop, but she will be heard. She will be heard. Wow. She got the right mom. That's all I can say. Oh, my gosh, Lisa. What a beautiful welcome. What a beautiful welcome to your, your relationship with her. I mean, it's one thing that I, I appreciated when you were telling that story was the way that you talked about how you went over the possibilities with her. You know, are you missing these people that you, you know, the only people she's known as caregivers? That is not only so positive as a way of, as words for her to hear. Um, but it's also really, it seems like it would be really helpful to you. And I think it's, been helpful to me when I've been able to do this and Magda Gerber also re recommended it to talk you know to ask these questions out loud not that we expect we're going to get a nod or an answer but really to kind of help us self-calm and stay in the process instead of trying to rush to the solution like you know we're all inclined to want to do to to try to end it to to really allow ourselves to stay in that process I think that that kind of questioning is so helpful you know are do you have a wet diaper let me think I no, I, I, your diaper seems fine. Or uh, let's see, you, you ate just about 10 minutes ago. I mean, maybe you need to, to burp. Let me think this through. So that, that dialogue, I think, is, is, a, good, is a good way to keep us um, calm <laughs> in these moments. And I remember that from, I remember Magda saying that. Um, I remember Magda in an interview saying that. I actually hear her voice. Um, in my in my um, head, you know, in, in, and she was asked, "Well, what do you do? Um, how what do you do when a baby cries? What how would you respond when a baby cries?" And Magda said, "Well, first I would ask the baby, why do you cry?" To open up that dialogue with the baby, and it comes a conversation. It starts right there in infancy and it becomes this conversation and the baby will, they, they do, they will tell you, they will tell you. We get better at reading and understanding their communication and their signals and then, but they also, if they know that we're there and that we really want to understand, they also get better at telling us what it is that they need. And we're not projecting you know, it's it's a much different thing than just automatically responding or projecting or trying to quiet them. Comfort is comfort is the word that's often used. But I'm not so sure that it's comforting always to a baby who may need to cry, may have something to express, to be rocked and jiggled and breastfed and carried and all that kind of stuff. 
Or I've I've absorbed this energy from all these people today that you know came over to check me out as the new baby and I or whatever it is or I went to the market and there was all these lights and that you know and sounds and it was it was deafening and it's like it's still in my body and I can't get it out and this is helping me get it out you know those kind of stories too. Yeah, and they all have stories to share. You know, my my little one has a, a unique um, history and story but they all have things to tell us and, and stories, their stories and their feelings. And, and it could be as, as simple as, I'm really uncomfortable. You know, I'm really uncomfortable right now. Right. We could start to numb that without meaning to by, you know, we keep exposing them to these stimulating situations and they, for survival's sake, they have to kind of find a way to disassociate from things, you know, a little bit. And then we can kind of teach them how to be, you know, I guess, less aware, you know, as they get older and, and also not as in tune with their, their feelings. Yeah. And we don't, I, that's not something that I'm interested in, you know, that's not something that I'm personally interested in doing. Well, I don't think anybody wants to do that, but we don't want it to be this hard not to do it. It is, it's very, very hard to, to approach crying in a open healthy, explorative way. To have that attitude is really helpful, though. Open, explorative way, that curiosity, instead of, a, you know, something's wrong and I have to do something to fix it. It's my responsibility to stop it or to fix it. Right, or danger, the wild animals are going to come eat our tribe, you know, keep the baby quiet, you know, going back to that, like, primitive instinct that I wish, you know, there's certain primitive instincts that really are not helping us anymore. They're just maybe helping therapists and things like that, but really not helping us. And and I wish we had a choice to kind of lose certain, <laughs> lose certain instincts and, and just keep the healthy ones. And God forbid they... <laughs> <laughs> they've read Harvey Kirk, flick a switch, right? Flick a switch on the feelings. I mean, flicking a switch on someone's feelings? How is that building a positive relationship? I don't know. My theory is, is that the crying, it helps their nervous system to regulate and to calm and to, and to mature. You know, that there's, something, that there's something healing, something healthy about the crying and about allowing the crying. And it doesn't mean that you don't respond. And it doesn't mean that you don't, if there, if there is a need, you know, that if, there's, if you can change a diaper or you can feed their hungry um, or if they need sleep, you, you meet those needs. But there are also times for all babies that they will cry and you can't discern a reason. And that's the time to just be with them and let it, let it be. And know that clearing those feelings is the healthiest thing they can do in that moment. Even if it's about something else that we can help with, it's still, there's something getting cleared there. And oftentimes, you know, I've noticed, especially with toddlers, you can, you can see how they, they use minor situations and minor disappointments to, to help clear heavier feelings that are inside them. You know, that's why they're so, the people make fun of toddlers overreacting. Well, they overreact because they, they're really good at clearing their feelings. You know, they're really good at getting, expressing those feelings. And so things that get stored up during the day, they'll find a way to get them out, you know, unconsciously they'll, they, they know how to do that. And I think that happens, you know, again, from birth, babies and children are, are some of the healthiest, you know, psychologically healthiest 
people in the world. I mean, they're, they have a really good, clear access to their feelings at that age. And, you know, it gets harder later on. But in these early years, we can really trust that crying is healthy. And then you don't need to get into, you know, helping your toddler to have um, a release, scheduling meltdowns and holding them um, or tickling them until they cry. Or roughhousing to get them to laugh instead of cry when you know they really need to cry, but you don't want to hear the crying instead. And yeah, somebody that practices that actually said to me, well, it's I don't want to hear when they get upset and it's easier for me to do it this way. And I just, I wonder at the oddness of that in terms of natural relationship and and it just it seems very wrong for us to be controlling those things in the course of their of their natural life like they will cry if they need to like especially when they become toddlers it's because they didn't get the spoon that they wanted you know um and so that can feel that can seem to a parent like are you kidding me they need to have that release and if you can just be with it and be like okay all right. And sometimes as they get older, it means actually walking away. You need to acknowledge the feeling that that's important. It's not just like, oh, well, you know, but, but once you've acknowledged, at some point, you need to move on as well. I know with my little one, separation is um, still hard for her. And it's particularly around bedtime or, or nap time as she gets more tired and, and she knows that the separation is coming and she'll begin to get more amped. And she'll ask for endless, another hug, you know, another tucking in and another stuffed animal and another drink and another, and we did it and we did it and we did it. And at some point I have to say to her, it's time to sleep and I'm going to leave. And that almost always results in a cry. My dream is for her to drift happily off to sleep, you know, and that's just not going to be it with my little girl. I can get caught up in that. I want to, you know, I want her to feel that I've responded and met all of her needs and that she can just go to sleep peacefully, you know. But I've learned that the more that I, if I get caught in that, you know, that I say, okay, one more hug, okay, one more, the harder it is for her. There has to be a clarity with me and I have to at some point say, "We've, we've done it and I'm leaving now. Good night. And let her have that cry. Yeah, because that's, yeah, I was just going to say, because that's that last little story she has to share with you about something in her day that she needs to get out of her body. She she needs to do that. She's letting you know that, you know, I still, I some things went in or some there's some things I'm processing that I just need to lose so I can have a good sleep. <laughs> so let me do it, please. Yes. And that's, and that's exactly it. And then she sleeps. She wakes, you know, and she wakes happy. She acts, she has definitely internalized that I'm there for her, you know, and that her needs are going to be met. And she, she knows that on an intellectual level, on an on a, um, emotional level. She needs that cry to let go. But my being there with her for that doesn't help in any way. It just kind of prolongs the whole thing for her. Mm-hmm. And she becomes more anxious. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you may have uh, heard, or I probably think I asked you before that I about coming back to do a sleep <laughs> talk with me because we're definitely going to do that. Another tricky subject that Lisa is much better at than I am, and I always tell people, you know, especially if you want a sleep consultation, go to Lisa Sunbury. She is incredible. 
and all the parents that have gone to you have, have uh, mentioned how much you've helped them and turned everything around for them. So I definitely recommend Lisa for that. And uh, also her website again, regardingbaby.org. It's a treasure chest of wonderful insights and advice. And uh, thank you so much, Lisa. I'm honored. You're my first official guest on Unruffled. And I'm my honor and my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, also, I want to mention, since we've talked about her a lot today, Magda Gerber's books, Dear Parent, Caring for Infants with Respect, and also Your Self-Confident Baby are wonderful treasures regarding crying. Uh, you might also like my book, Elevating Child Care, or No Bad Kids. Those are my books. Uh, again, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Don't forget, we can do this.